Are you Tony Stank? Yes, this is, this is Tony Stank. You're in the right place. Thank you for that. Never dropping that, by the way. Table for one, Mr. Stank. Please, by the bathroom. <laughs>
Following the kickoff of the world's biggest mouse party earlier this year, the festival continues at Disneyland Resorts with Get Your Ears On, a Mickey and Minnie celebration, which will bring new entertainment, food, and merchandise to the resort on January 18th. Mickey's Mixed Magic will light up the night at Disney's Park, Disneyland Park with all new music, projections, and lasers that set a, the scene for an epic dance party that takes place almost the entire park. The park will get even bigger when the fan-favorite Mickey's Sensational Parade returns to the resort January 25th, which features new floats with Mickey himself, who will lead the celebration down Main Street, USA, and that is Disneyland. But back over at Disney World, now there's more magic than ever. From January 18th through September 30th, Mickey and Minnie's surprise celebration at the Magic Kingdom will feature new food, merchandise, and entertainment, including a new dance party with Mickey and Minnie and their friends, and a chance to meet Mickey and Minnie together in their new birthday outfits. On the high seas, Disney Cruise Line will welcome Mickey and Minnie's surprise party at sea, an all-new, high-energy deck party on the Disney Fantasy next summer. No word on the other ships. Over at the Hollywood Studios, an all-new cinematic nighttime experience, Wonderful World of Animation, is coming to the studios on May 1st as part of the 30th anniversary of Disney Hollywood Studios. The show will use state-of-the-art technology to take guests on magical journeys through more than 90 years of Disney animation, all beginning with Mickey. At World Showcase over at Epcot, the Ratatouille Experience comes to France. Uh, the France Pavilion will be called Remy's Ratatouille Adventure. Guests will also enjoy a brand new Beauty and the Beast sing-along created by Don Han, producer of the animated and live-action Beauty and the Beast films. This will be in the Circle Vision, where the Illusions of Paris are, is uh, currently being shown. Not replacing, but shown in addition to. There will also be an update to the O Canada 360 show. I actually kind of enjoy the current one, but always can use updates on these things. For Illumination fans, uh, announcements of the all-new Transformative Spectacular set to debut in 2020. Uh, it will celebrate how Disney music can inspire people from around the world, featuring massive floating set pieces, custom-built LED panels, uh, choreographed moving fountains, lights, pyrotechnics, and lasers. Before the that new show debuts, there will be a limited-time experience Epcot fans will love, called Epcot Forever, a true celebration of the timeless park uh, debuting in fall of 2019, just remember 2019, I believe it's summer, is when Illuminations is expected to end. Epcot Forever will be coming in shortly after. So, during debuting in fall of 2019 and set to classic Epcot tunes, the show begins with a spark of imagination that quickly grows into an epic spectacular firework, music, lights, lasers, choreographed, special effect kites, and more. Which... I think it's fantastic because personally, Epcot has some of my favorite music for the parks. But continuing on with the news, 
Disney kicks off the second phase of hashtag share your ears campaign. Earlier this month, the Walt Disney Company invites fans to hashtag share your ears to help uh, grant life-changing wishes for kids with critical illnesses around the world. On Friday, November 16th, Disney Parks Experiences Customer Products uh, Chairman Bob Chapek appeared on Good Morning America to announce that Disney will be adding a second phase to this year's hashtag share your ears campaign in honor of, of Mickey Mouse's 90th anniversary. The festival continues on Saturday as fans attend D23, the official Disney Fans Club event. Pardon me, turning the page. Destination D, where we just got all that wonderful news from, celebrating Mickey Mouse's uh, Celebrating, Mickey Mouse joined JPEG for what was undoubtedly the world's biggest hashtag share your ears photo. From now through Giving Tuesday, which is November 27, 2018, participants can take their photo showing off their Mickey Mouse ears or any creative ears and upload to Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For every public post with the hashtag share your ears, Disney will donate five dollars u.s to make a wish up to one million u.s dollars for a total of three million american dollars u.s dollars that is a lot of giving and all because of mickey mouse and now on with the show it's an exciting life and when you do something that you know the fans seem to enjoy, that gives you such satisfaction, you don't want to stop. You know, I guess one person can make a difference. Enough said. It's with a heavy heart that I am doing this show. Um, as you probably guessed, this episode I am dedicating to Stan Lee and to sum up in one episode what Stan Lee has done for me the world of comic books the movie industries now I, I just personally could not do an episode long enough so I'm going to do my best and go over some of what Stan has done in his amazing life. Um, it's going to be brief. I mean, granted, he lived 95 years. He accomplished a lot in that time. And most of it he started, he started when he, after 35. And it was not an easy life. And at no point ever assume what he accomplished came easy. Um, and as I will talk about, he worked hard for it. But Stan, wherever you are, thank you. So thinking back, my first introduction to comic books was a few defective, uh, defective, pardon me, detective comics. Stan may have called them defective, but they're detective comics featuring Batman. My brother had gotten me for me. I also had uh, come across some Uncle Scrooge and some Donald Duck. Some uh, Mickey Mouse uh, comic books as well. It wasn't until 1992 that 
I saw the first X-Men animated series on Saturday morning cartoons. Yes, back when there was such a thing. I was amazed by Marvel at that point. The characters, the, the stories, kind of took me in. And I really enjoyed this series. So, as probably intended, I started collecting the X-Men comic books. I even got to the point where I had a subscription through, uh, through Marvel for them, so I didn't even have to go out to the store. They came in the mail for me. Um, I collected X-Men, I collected Uncanny X-Men, X-Force, X-Factor. I was getting to all of them. Not so much uh, Excalibur, but... Um, the comic books quickly became a main source of reading for me. That's uh, It wasn't so much books. The comic books is what really got me reading and dreaming. I would go on to pick up occasional Avengers, Avengers West Coast, Spider-Man, Captain America, Iron Man, plus others. But my biggest connection was through the world of the X-Men. The characters connected with me in a way that other characters from other comics companies or even books did not. I felt the characters I, I felt the characters um that they were the characters themselves were written for me, if that makes sense. I think they were written towards I think there was a connection. It it wasn't just a character that I was reading that they wrote for anybody. Like Jim Lee back then who was doing a lot of the the, the comic books wrote the character for me specifically if that makes sense they had their amazing they had the x-men had their amazing powers or just in general marvel characters had their amazing powers but they were normal people as well this is what i found profound about marvel comics they were normal people trying to do normal things trying to a lot of times for one reason or not they were not allowed to Comic books had a profound effect on my life, and those stories came from Marvel. Just recently, like I said in the little opening I did, we lost Stan Lee, a man who did not, didn't found the company that became Marvel, but he was responsible for making it what it is now. Through many amazing creations, ideas, some poor business choices, Lee and Marvel had been through a lot together. Stanley Martin Lieber, who was born December 28, 1922, in New York City. He was the first-born son of Jewish-Hungarian immigrants, and he attended high school in the Bronx, where he graduated early at the age of 16. From there, he landed a job as an assistant at the Timely Comics division of a company headed by publisher Martin Goodman. This is where he would meet Joe Smith and Jack Kirby. I'm sorry, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. They were the creators of Captain America. He started working with them on Captain America under the pseudonym Stan Lee in 1941, primarily just doing some text work. Once Kirby and Simon left, Stan Lee was appointed interim editor. But during World War II, he joined the Army Signal Corps and so he left the comic book world behind. But when he finished his tour, he returned to Tomney and the role of editor. 
It was during this time he started uh, courting a hat model named Joan Bucock. Joan and Stan would marry in 1947 and stay married for 70 years until she passed away July 6, 2017. 70 years of marriage. I mean, think about it. That is fantastic, especially considering that they grew up in the entertainment, or they were married and their lives were in the entertainment world. Uh, eventually, they would move to California um, and do stuff out that way. Together, they did have two daughters. Um, they initially started off living in Long Island, New York. As things were going going along great in his personal life, professionally things could have been more opposite. Timely had changed their name to Atlas, and Stan was not happy with how things were, were going. He started to consider leaving, actually. He kind of went out of the industry. He, he was, they were dealing with romance stuff and um, mythical, just stuff he was not interested in producing and drawing or be, being a part of. And he was kind of, at this point, the, the job was not what the job was. And he, he was done. I mean, this is the 40s, so he'd been doing this for a while. But what happened next changed Stan's life. And really, the world as we know it. In the late 1950s, that other comic book company, <coughs> DC Comics... Revived a superhero, revived the superhero genre, with a reemergence of the Flash, and they also created a superhero group called the Justice League of America. Stan's boss, Mr. Goodman, gave him the task to create their own superhero group. And you can see it now. Goodman Bryce standing there with a cigar. They. We need one of these. Throwing probably the comics on his desk and saying, Come on, let's come up with something and make us money. Well, Stanley took the challenge. And 1961, Timely, which is now Atlas, rebranded themselves as Marvel Comics. These first superhero characters also debuted at this time. And that was the Fantastic Four. And it was good. Comic book sales were going up. People were eating it up. And what made Stan these characters stand out over the other was their humanity. They were flawed. They were vulnerable. They were not the shiny examples that the other companies, or even the characters during the golden age of comic books, were. These characters had internal conflict. They made mistakes and sometimes the line between the good guys and the bad guys wasn't always so clear. Following the Fantastic Four, Lee prepared, uh, parted, uh, sorry, partnered with others at Marvel to create more. Like Spider-Man, Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk, X-Men, and so many more. He now was the editor the art director, the marketing manager, and more at Marvel. Besides the character, Lee changed the ways comic books were actually created. It was dubbed the Marvel Method, where writers and art 
artists collaborated, they worked together to create stories and characters and events. It wasn't the writers write the stories, gave it to the artists, and the artists drew them. No, he unified them to work together. He even made sure to add a page in the comic with the names of everyone who was involved, a, basically a credit page. And he plus added a little bit of himself to his comics, called Stan Soapbox, where he would write about whatever he wanted, everyday things. Kind of a fan favorite area to just kind of get a glimpse inside of Stan Lee's head, and he would just talk about the issues, or he would talk about comic books, or he would just talk about nonsense. I remember reading some of those myself, and it was always fun, because he, he wasn't... Despite the name of Soapbox, he wasn't getting on a soapbox and preaching things. He would just he would go on and just talk about stuff. And, and like I said, in a fun way. When Martin Goodman left Marvel Comics in 1972, Lee became the publisher at that point. Stanley, that's when he took over and became publisher. And for the next decade, he continued overseeing the creation of new characters, series... Different things at the company and production keep things going in the 80s. He moved to Los Angeles. That's what Los Angeles, California That's at what point him and uh, Joan moved out there with the two daughters to explore the new outlets for Marvel He assumed the role of producer For the spider-man and the Incredible Hulk TV series amongst a few of the other ones mostly best known for the Incredible Hulk Strangely enough it has come out now that Stan actually was not too fond of the Spider-Man series. I didn't seem to mind the Hulk one, but he said the Spider-Man series, as great as the effects were for their day, I mean, you, you had Spider-Man climbing up walls and flipping about and fighting bad guys, but his biggest critique of the early Spider-Man live-action show was they took away the humanity. They took away the the character that was Spider-Man. I mean, it wasn't just a, a guy in a suit beating up bad guys and he you know, his little quips and his flaws and, and just his struggles they they took that out so he he actually was not happy about that but that was the TV biz so he uh as and things moved forward at that point i mean we got into the 90s where marvel actually struggled a lot financially um they were facing bankruptcy uh, they had a lot of things going but they they were having trouble funding things they had the the comic books the animated series uh fox actually asked for additional animated series once the initial run of x-men was over but Marvel did not have the money to back it, and no banks wanted to back them because of the, the you know the condition the company was in. So that's where Saban came in and helped front the money for it and produced the last couple of episodes, uh, which kind of explained why there's some uh, disjointing at the end and just the, the things weren't working out as quite as well. So despite these complications, the 2000s would prove to be one of the most successful and lucrative parts of Lee's uh, lengthy career. With hit films such as X-Men and Spider-Man, to just name a few, Lee's leg legendary comic book heroes were brought to a whole new generation of fans and a wider audience than ever before. Lee also published two autobiographies uh, during this time, including Excelsior! 
The Amazing Life of Stanley. That was in 2002. And The Amazing, Fantastic, Incredible. That was 2015. Um, and 2009 is when Marvel finally decided to join the ranks of Disney. Which that created a whole whole interesting mess in itself as Lava Snow did complications between Marvel or the Marvel characters and the Disney not so much for the movie distribution. I mean they Lee had the uncanny ability to just kind of trust anybody that came at him wanting to produce the shows beyond these the comic book characters beyond the comic books. So, you know, we want to do a movie for you. Sure, here's the movie rights. We want to do a TV show. Sure, here's the movie rights. He didn't go with just one company. He was trying to diversify. But in diversifying, he kind of lost a lot of control. So you had the animated series on Fox. You have the X-Men series uh, movie franchise with Fox. But then you had Spider-Man over at Sony. Eventually, you'd had the Avenger stuff at Paramount. And this is kind of when Disney stepped in and said, okay, you know what? We like the cut of your jib. We like Marvel Comics. We want you to be part of the Disney family. And they're still trying to clean that all up. Sony still owns the Spider-Man rights. They're getting the X-Men back only because they're acquiring Fox. They worked out a financial deal with Paramount right before Avengers came out. Avengers, uh, the original Avengers movie was kind of the, the turning point where they just said, okay, you know what? Paramount, here's a bunch of money. We're taking it over. And fortunately, that paid off because I think they almost made back a lot, most of the money that they paid Paramount with just the Avenger movie in itself. But it's the same thing with the animated series. You kind of got them all over the place. They, they've cleaned that up a lot. Um, their biggest dilemma now was the deal that Marvel had struck with Universal as into using characters in a theme park. This side, or East Coast side of the Mississippi. Disneyland, they don't have this problem. In China, they don't have this problem either. It's really just in Florida, but the, the problem with Florida is it's Walt Disney World. Walt Disney World is the destination vacation spot of the world. It is the most visited place anywhere. So they will obviously want to get their characters in there. So they're still trying to hammer out an agreement with Universal to get these characters in the parks. Now, unfortunately, it does not include all characters because they have had Gamora and Groot and... Have they had Groot at Walt Disney World? They might have. But they have Gamora and Star-Lord at Walt Disney World. They have the Guardians of the Galaxy attraction. So, yeah, they must have had uh, Groot at some point. So, they can use some characters. Some characters are not under this master agreement. But your big ones, Spider-Man, Hulk, Captain America, Iron Man... They can't do that. They can't bring these characters into the parks. 
but Universal at the same time cannot use the characters from the movies. They're not included in the agreement. So it, it is this whole convoluted uh, mess that the Disney lawyers are still trying to hash away. I mean, when you think about it, Stanley, Jack Kirby, and all of them created thousands, if that, about millions of characters. I mean, it took the lawyers well, better part, what, year and a half, two years, I think, to comb through everything to, before they even got to from character A to character Z. Um, so it, the world that Stan Lee created, this is my point, the world that Stan Lee created is massive beyond belief. Not that he necessarily personally created all of them. As I mentioned a few episodes, a few weeks ago, that he did not create Spider-Man. Um, Spider he gave the job, the task to create Spider-Man to someone. He kind of had this little inkling of an idea. Gave it to one of the artists. The artist came up with it. But he was involved and he was personally involved. Now granted also, I know Stan necessary was not necessarily the easiest person to work with. Um, he was very particular in, in a lot of ways on how the comics were produced and the stories that they were created. But the lasting legacy of Marvel you know, only goes to show that he was right. I mean, yes, and was he, like I said, not easy necessarily to work for. That's why in a lot of these the younger artists, after a while, did leave uh, Lightfield and Lee wanted to create Image Comics and I don't think they're around that co company's around anymore um, and there's some other ones um, but again thinking back can you imagine where would we be without Spider-Man Captain America I mean we wouldn't have any of these movies the superhero genre would be completely different definitely not what it is now um the DC comics of the time, like I said, they, they were shy. Think of think of Superman originally. Not that again, not that this is that you know type of podcast where we're talking about the DC, the the Warner Brothers stuff. But I'm just taking an example. Let's compare Superman to Captain America. Superman, Superman of old, or Superman and Spider Man. I think it's because Spider Man was a Stanley, Captain America was not. Superman originally was your boy scout more or less um and i'm using that in the content sense he was your shiny example he was your do-gooder he wore a suit to work he you know hair was always in perfect condition he was always out for truth justice and the american way wasn't that it and he would fly in defeat the bad guy save the girl fly out end of story he would again see crime jump into a phone booth switch to his super suit stop the crime you know give the money back to the, the orphanage and again just fly off that was superman again clean shiny example clark kent sort of bumbling alter ego but again all around nice guy enter spider-man who would kind of quip with his 
his adversaries. He would joke around with the bad guys. He would make mistakes trying to stop them. He's, you know, he is a young boy trying to live up to the ideals of his aunt in, you know, trying in some ways feels responsible for the death of his uncle. You know, he tries things and makes mistakes. He, you know, it's, it's not the same type of character development. It's not, you know, all superheroes are wear shiny capes. As we know from the Incredibles, capes are not a good thing. Um, unless if you're Doctor Strange, that that's a cool cape. But again, characters with conflict in humanity in a comic book did not exist until Stanley came up with it, really. So that's you know again, Stan, wherever you are, thank you very much for all that you brought to us. Um, it had a profound effect on my <clears throat> my life growing up. I know many of you out there too. He, uh, he meant a lot to us. He is a true legend in his own way. And uh, he's going to be missed. His legacy will live on through the movies, through his appearances, and uh, hopefully they had something to figure out where they, he could pop up in a few more. So what are some of your favorite Stanley comics, some of your favorite Marvel comics, <clears throat> particularly ones that Stan was involved in? If there's a particular story or a particular character, let us know. Put it out on the Facebook group or the, on the social Facebook would be facebook.com slash Disney Marvel's podcast. One more time, it's facebook.com slash Disney Marvel's podcast. Or shout out on the Twitter. That's at Disney Marvel's. Again, on Twitter, it's at Disney Marvel's. Or you can email the show. Disney Marvel's at gmail.com. One more time, the email for the show is Disney Marvel's at gmail.com. Or if you have any show ideas, let us know on there as well. Make sure you are sharing this show. Tell all your Disney like-minded friends out there about the show. Get us involved. More people involved, the better. Share the show. Subscribe to the show. And please, please rate the show on whatever, you know, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you listen to the show on. Um, please give us a rating. We'll appreciate it. And uh, just also always remember... Believe in yourself. Life is hard. But whatever you're struggling with, the power is within you to overcome it. Believe in yourself. You can do great things. I normally end the show with a quote from Walt Disney. Uh, but tonight, I, today, I'm, I'm going to end with um, one of Stan's last interviews. Uh, Marvel put this out, and I, I'm going to put this at the end of the show because I just feel it's right. Stan talking about what his fans meant to him. And I'll see you next time. It's so lucky to have fans. Fans who really care about you. And that's the reason I care so much about the fans. Because they just they make me feel so great and there's something if you think about it 
that is wonderful about somebody caring about you as I care about them, whom you've never met, who may live in another part of the world, but they care and you have something in common and occasionally you contact each other. And this business of fans, I think, is terrific. And I love them all.